You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 273. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I had a great experience this week as a guest on the podcast Re with John and Oriana Sells. Uh, we had a candid conversation about Christian music and why it is important in the life of a believer. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, and I hope that you check it out. Now, one of the things that we discussed in the conversation was the power of rehearsing the goodness of God through the songs that we sing. Also, the power of linking what we are singing to scripture. And perhaps you're like me and grew up singing old hymns and without even realizing the deep theology woven into each verse, uh, even though we only sang like first, second, fourth verse. Why was that? I don't know. What was wrong with, with verse three? I'm not sure. But in all seriousness, one of my desires for you on this podcast is to use Christian music that you may be listening to on the radio and linking it to scripture in such a way that every time you hear the song, you're reminded of the knowledge you've gained through your investment in studying scripture. Now, another thing I hope to do is to make Bible study, um, not just Bible reading, although for heaven's sakes, please start there, uh, but to make Bible study more accessible for you. And I share the Bible interaction tool exercises I use every week in my own Bible study. I call them bites. And my desire is that they would help you take a bite out of scripture. So this week we will be using a song by the afters titled Well Done. And perhaps if you've been in church world long enough, you have heard the phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. But my challenge to you is, do you know where it is mentioned? Here's a hint. It's in a parable. But what parable is it? What precedes it and what comes after it? And how can we think scripturally about this phrase? So before we get into all of that on today's episode, let's listen to the chorus of our inspiration song. I'm waiting my whole life to hear you say, well. So let's answer those questions, shall we? Where is this phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant, where does it show up in God's word and in what context? Well, it's found in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents. Let's read starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here, you can have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, been, has, to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. Okay, so when this parable uses the word talent... I just want to say it's not describing the English definition of talent as in some ability that comes naturally or something like that. Rather, it was some sort of measurement of money. Now, some of the commentaries I read indicated that a talent could very well have been a very large sum of money, even gold. So let me chase a little rabbit here. When I read about the talent possibly being gold, it made me think of Psalm 19. And in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. More to be desired are they than gold. Now, I have to admit to you, when I'm reading the parable of the talents, I want to be the five talent guy. He seems like the winner, doesn't he? I mean, he has the most ability, he uses it, and he's accepted and blessed by his master and given even more. But here in the Psalms, there's something worth more than gold. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. And reward? Yeah. In keeping them, there is great reward. And in some regard, we are all the five talent guy, to be honest, as it relates to our access to the word of God. He has freely given his written word to all of us. And because this is an English speaking podcast, I can tell you we have an option upon option upon option of consuming it in our own language, or at least one of the languages we speak. I know I have many listeners from around the world where English is not your primary language, and I recognize that. But there are many English translations for us to consume of God's word. So what are we doing with this book? Full of what is to be desired more than gold. Okay. It is my desire for you to have an unreasonable desire for God's word that leads to an unsurpassable relationship with him. 
that will take an investment of your time and effort. I hear from you all the time, my listeners, that you have started reading God's word again or for the first time because you feel equipped to do so. And I'm happy to be a small part of that journey with you, but make no mistake, it is an investment. Don't bury God's word on your bookshelf expecting to get some commendation from your Savior later. All right, so let's head back to the parable. When we read this parable, we can compare and contrast the two servants and or I'm sorry, the three servants and make some observations. There are two bites, Bible interaction tool exercise exercises, comparing and contrasting, and then just making some observations. We've read the parable. We read it all the way through just now. And now we can go back and interact with it. And that's when we can pull out these observations. Now, the obvious contrast is the amount of money given to each servant. But the common factors include the fact that they are all servants of the master and that the master has entrusted property that belongs that belongs to him to each of them. Okay, so those are the common factors. Uh, Another contrast is their ability. So the servant with the greatest ability was given the greatest portion of the master's property. Another contrast that I saw is how the servants saw their master. We're not described uh, what the first two servants thought of their master, but the third was driven by fear and a misunderstanding of the characteristics of the master. Now, have you ever experienced that when discussing Father God with someone who just doesn't know him the way that you do? You know, is God to be feared? Yes, but not in that way. I mean, did the master say he was wrong in his assessment of him? No, but his interpretation of the characteristics of God led to a response that was not satisfactory. So you go ahead and make some more observations on your own. I mean, do you see how I'm kind of pulling out the things that are similar? It's, you know, uh, I, I just really think you can do this. I, I I know that there will be times that I will see things that you don't naturally see. Uh, when I discuss it with a friend, they will see things that I don't see. But you can get started and you can really begin to internalize uh, what you're studying in scripture by really just, again, just interacting with it, making some observations using tools like compare and contrast and all of that. All right, so let's make, uh, so you can go ahead and do that on your own. I wanna move on to the bite of context. I always start here. Uh, If you've been a listener for any length of time, you know that context is my favorite bite uh, because it it always helps you kind of get a a grip on what you're reading. In fact, in my own study this week, I read the parable and because it is in red letters, I backed up in scripture to where that conversation started. This is a, um, some Jesus is talking and that whole chapter is red letters, but it doesn't start in chapter 25. It really started in chapter 24 and ended in 25. But my bite of context suggests whether this is true of what you're reading. And this was obvious because this was a discussion with uh, of Jesus. But if you're in Chronicles or if you're in, you know, uh, uh, Corinthians or if you're in all these different places, you can still read the chapter before the chapter where your focus verse is and the chapter after. And that will give you at least some semblance of context. So here I read 24, 25 and 26. But really, the immediate context of these parables is in 24 and 25. Now, in chapter 24, Jesus is teaching about the signs of the end of the age. And the parable immediately preceding our feature parable begins with the words, then the kingdom of God will be like. Uh, 
So that parable of, which is about the 10 virgins, I'll talk about that in a minute. And then the parable of the talents. And then the, I don't know if it was listed as a parable, but it, Jesus continues to teach talking about um, separating the nations like, like sheep, like, like a shepherd would the sheep and the goats. So this first parable, but all three are connected to this same idea of the kingdom of God is like, okay. So that first parable is about those 10 virgins. Some translations say bridesmaids, but no matter what, they were waiting for the bridegroom to come and he seemed delayed. When we compare and contrast them, we see that five were described as wise and five were described as foolish. The wise brought extra oil for their lamps and the foolish didn't. Overall, the foolish were not prepared and they were locked out of the marriage feast. And what did the bridegroom say to them? Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. (laughs) Wow. So compare that with the next parable where we hear our phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we can consider our two parables so far. So you see what I'm doing? I'm comparing and contrasting within the parable. And then you can compare and contrast between the parables. And so you see wise versus foolish, uh, investor versus wicked and lazy. Jesus's words, not mine. Uh, And then the next section that rounds out this chapter, but really this entire conversation is the final judgment where Jesus described the sheep and the goats being separated out. Now, part of me wishes we had time to read all three of these together, but the other part of me is kind of glad because I really am hoping that you will be inspired and equipped to work through this on your own. But if you're not familiar with the sheep versus the goats, basically it's a story of separating out those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven versus those who will be cast out. But when you compare and contrast in this example, Jesus spells it out for us. What was the deciding factor in this example? He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they're like, um, I'm pretty sure I would remember doing that for you. So when was this again? And Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then the ones being cast out asked the same question. And Jesus said, That when they did not do for the least, they did not do for him. So there, I mean, he spells it out. This is, this is, he has his own compare and contrast going on here. So here's my challenge to you. Just keep studying these chapters, but on a real high level right here, I want to try to tie a few things together for you so that you can kind of keep them together in your own study. And as you meditate on the word and you ponder it. Again, I've skimmed over so much, you're really going to have to go and read it for yourself. But first of all, I understand the desire to be told, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's beginning with the end in mind, right? But I don't want to live a life that merely hopes for that. I want to live a life that lives for that. And I've been especially moved by a truth that God just wedged into my soul ever since we studied the end of Matthew uh, chapter 7. It was a few episodes ago when Jesus said that the wise man listens to the word and puts it into action. And this is echoed in our study here. So let's remove the spotlight from us for a second, right? From our desire to be approved and in the end by our Savior. It's not a bad desire, Uh, But let's really refocus our attention and consider what is important to God based on these scriptures. 
So first of all, his desire is that we be ready. We must not tarry to accept his salvation and follow him. We won't have time to go to the store to buy more oil for our lamp. We need to keep the wick trimmed and shining bright, ready for his return. If you have been putting off accepting his free gift of salvation, do not put it off any longer. You need to be ready. The foolish had a lamp that burned for a while and then ran out of gas, so to speak. So uh, don't do that either. If you're a believer, keep that trick, uh, trim, uh, wick trimmed, excuse me, and the oil full of gas or full of uh, the, the, the uh, lamp full of oil, easy for me to say, because God values a readiness and an eagerness and an expectation for the bridegroom. So that's that first parable. That's what we see is important to him. As we move on to the next parable, he desires us to take care of his property and multiply it. Now, what is his property? Now, I've already made the case for his word, more precious than gold. Are we planting his word in our hearts for a harvest in our behavior? Now, perhaps it's whatever amount of wealth he has bestowed upon us. Um, Truly, everything is his. Are we living as good stewards of what he gives us? Are we avoiding debt? Are we tithing? Are we being generous to others? I personally don't think we can take this parable out of context of the next illustration where we see his property of greatest value are people. Are we tending to the least of these? And here's where I want to link the two. God has given you a sphere of influence, linking the two, the parable of the talents versus the sheep, um, sheep versus the goats story. But God has given you a sphere of influence. And perhaps it's your family, your church family, and a few close friends. Okay. They are God's property that he has entrusted to you. Perhaps God has given you a larger sphere of influence, maybe a class of students, a Bible study, a group, a, a club or organization, a Sunday school class, something like that. They are God's property that he has entrusted to you. Perhaps God has given you an even larger sphere of influence, an audience, a congregation, readers, followers, and the like. They are God's property that he has entrusted to you. Don't despise the one talent wishing you were given the five. Be faithful in little. Tend to the sphere of influence God has given you. And yes, I will have waited my whole life to hear well done. But more than that, I'm actively waiting. I want to care about what God cares about. I want to be ready and expectant as I invest in that which God has seen fit to give me influence over. I don't want to miss him in the least of these. So what's next? Read the parable of the talents and read it in context by reading Matthew chapters 24 and 25. Make observations and compare and contrast because that is exactly what Jesus is doing throughout this teaching. Make note of which character in each parable or story you want to be. Discern what actions or beliefs are displayed by those people and what those behaviors lead to. What are the consequences of that? Acknowledge the consequences of the other choice in each parable. And then don't just wait to hear well done. Act. And while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Instagram. Michelle L. Nizat is my, uh, I'm sorry, michellekneezat is my Facebook public page. And let's talk about what you're learning. 
Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like CJ from Oklahoma, Debbie from Alberta, Canada, and Dorothy from Texas. Welcome. New subscribers to my website will benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites that I've used on the podcast. It's a great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop. You can even print it out. You get an email recap of the week's episode and you get instant access to any of the extra resources that I create from time to time for some of my episodes. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. And have you had a chance to write a review in iTunes for the podcast yet? This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to new listeners. As always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Of course, you can listen to the podcast through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. We're also on Joy 103.1 every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can follow us on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will use the song Find You Here by Ellie Holcomb. It's a replay of episode 173, so that's 100 episodes ago. So even if you've been a faithful listener, this repeat episode may be just what you need. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 273. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.